0: You're at your old trusty boat, you call Mighty Sparrow, I'm in the city of Mardi Gras. Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we hear stories from everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey everybody, just a quick note before we start this podcast, uh, if you want to support and keep this show going can head on over to Patreon and uh, become one of the patrons Uh, just to look up Sailing Into Oblivion. And I want to do a big thanks to all of those who have already joined and are helping because it is fantastic. Um, This podcast today is just answering one question, and that is, if you had a month of time uh, to do some hiking on the AT, where would you go and what section would you do? And I want to answer that for my buddy, Matt, down in South Carolina. And, uh, other than that, hopefully we'll get some interviews going, but, uh, I'm up in Northern Michigan right now, all by myself doing, uh, work on this next book. And so it's a little hard to find people to interview, uh, when you're all alone in this, uh, <laughs> in this winter expanse, but, uh, I'll be headed back down to the boat soon enough and, uh, we'll get back and rolling. So here we go. Thanks for listening. All right, we are live and coming to you still up here sequestered in a uh, The Shining-esque situation that I'm in up here in the great state of Michigan, way up at the tip of the mitt, and it is freezing, it is covered in snow, and I'm basically alone in this house and I'm trying to uh, continue to write this book and it's actually going pretty well. Um, It's an enjoyable subject. So that absolutely helps because ideas sort of keep popping into my head, but that's where we're uh, doing this podcast. And I I actually, I got a question from a friend of mine down in South Carolina and I really wanted to address it with him, but uh, our schedules didn't match up. Well, I figured I would go ahead and dive into it, and this actually brings us back to the Appalachian Trail adventure uh, a little bit, or at least some of the knowledge uh, that I gained doing the entire thing back in 2012. And the question that I received was, this guy has about a month or so uh, of time that he's allotted to have off, and he'd like to go and do a section of the AT. And so there's there's typically two types of hikers. Uh, a through hiker does the whole trip from end to end, either from Georgia all the way to Maine or vice versa and back. So those are northbounders, which is the most common, and then southbounders, which is, uh, I think they probably only make up maybe 10% of the people that hike the trail. And supposedly the southbound trip is a little bit more difficult because you're starting off in the most rugged terrain that you encounter on the trail, which is up in Maine. But his question, yeah, was what, what, uh, what section would you do? Where, where would you go if you had a certain amount of time? And I wanna sort of frame this in the perspective uh, of my own experience, because I, I've thought about that question I'd love to, I always tell people that I would love to be able to do the entire Appalachian Trail for the first time again. I think doing it a second time would, would probably not be anywhere near as enjoyable, uh, and I could be wrong. I'm not, I just, I'm I'm the type of person that likes to go and, and see new things and all that, but I also have a big penchant for nostalgia and returning to some of the some of the highlight areas and seeing some of those sites again and going into certain situations, uh, like little towns or, you know, those certain little camping spots that I pass by that I wish I knew about. And if I had it to do over again, I know I would go there, um, that sort of thing. And I've thought about that quite a bit because I would love to revisit some of these places and, it's basically where I would go and, and how much of the trail I would do. And, and so getting to his, his question and it's really, it's up to the person. It, the trail is so nice because it has an unbelievable array of different terrain, different, uh, towns. You can be in a situation like in Connecticut, for instance, where you almost only have to carry one night's uh, amount of food the entire time because there's there's always little stops and little delis and places you can you can grab lunch and then then grab a little something to cook for dinner so that's very different than say being in the hundred mile wilderness up in Maine where there's only one little outfitter about midway through and I don't even know if it's open anymore um, or some of the other areas where you just you go for, much further distances and have to carry a whole lot. And some people might find that more appealing where you're actually, you could go into doing something, for instance, like the Smoky Mountains where you're cutting through that whole thing. You have to bring about four or five days worth of food with you and you're, you're going to see very little as far as crossing roads. And I mean, there are a few, but it's more of that natural setting, I guess is what I'm what I'm thinking. Um, so there there's a lot uh, there's a lot of different options and I think one of the cool aspects of the Appalachian Trail is the idea of doing an entire state and that sort of, because ah, when you're on the trail, it's a big day when you cross a state line. That's, that's a, those are some of the biggest highlights. And if I were to allot myself a little bit of time, a few weeks or something like that, I think initially that would be my jump-off point is looking at all the different states, how many miles they have in them, what sort of terrain we're going to be looking at, what sort of towns we're going to go through and, and trying to figure out if I can do one or if I can do two. And those vary as well. I mean, looking at the numbers, the, the smallest state, uh, I believe is, I I can't remember exactly how, how little trail there is in, I think Maryland has like 40 miles, um, West Virginia, you just like barely touch. Those are some of the really, really small ones. Uh, the average mileage, I would say, across the board is is going to be in that 60 to 90 mile range per state, with two or three big exceptions, which would be Virginia, which has 550 miles in it, which is by far the largest or longest trail uh, state. And then Maine coming in at second with about 280 and Pennsylvania is the other big one in the 200s and that's got about 230 240 miles in it. So there are those options. I mean, typically if you're if you're fresh and you're hopping right onto the trail somewhere, you're going to think you probably and this this always is going to go and be just about each person is going to have it different, but you're thinking of probably hiking between 10 and 15 miles a day in the beginning and then it doesn't take long before you can you can crank out uh, quite a few more miles than that. But you can use that as a bit of an average and and always kind of err on the side of caution. I'd say if you're looking to do some long distance hiking and you've you've done some before so you know what it's all about, uh, I would say think about maybe 12 miles a day when you're trying to calculate. So, let's say I had uh, two weeks to go and hike. In those two weeks, I'm probably going to spend two to maybe three nights, uh, in a motel in these little towns that you come by. So that brings us down to about 11 days, uh, on trail. So 11 days, uh, and let's say we're, we're hiking 10 miles a day. So that's a hundred and 110 miles. So that easily you can, you could do, North Carolina, you could do the Smokies, you could do Tennessee, all these separately. Uh, you could do New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, um, all those, you could wrap the entire state up in that two week period of time. And so that, that sort of gives you an idea of how you could, you could at least pick a state or just go conquer one because one of the realities about the trail is it because it's so excessively long uh 2200 miles just about the idea of trying to uh high hit all the highlights like maybe maybe see some of the smokies or and then go up and oh uh, get to McAfee Knob up in Virginia and then go see the green mountains in Vermont and white mountains in New Hampshire I mean, you you would spend more time traveling to get to those places than you would actually spend in the woods. So I think as far as my opinion, uh, it would be much, much more enjoyable and you'd get a whole lot more out of the experience if you actually pick one little section and you're going to go from point A and stay in those woods and see those trail towns and hike until the very end. Plus... Just trying to figure out the logistics of getting on and off the trail. Um that that is something you have to consider because you, you don't want to start the trail somewhere that is in completely nowhere'sville, really far away from the nearest big airport and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, that's why that's why kinda you have to also look at areas where you where it would be easy to get on and then then it makes your goal another spot where it's pretty easy to get off and uh, and then get back to wherever you came from. So those are those are some of the, the things that you have to consider. The other one is how rugged and how difficult you would like the hike to be. So you might be up for a big, big challenge. You might actually be using it as a way to uh, get back in shape, lose some weight, something like that. Um, or you just... Or on the other spe- side of the, the spectrum, you might want to just have enjoyable hiking, nothing too crazy, just want to go out and spend some time in the woods, not be, you know, blistered feet and sore and miserable in that respect. And, and you know, waking up in the morning and barely being able to move your legs, <laughs> which is something that's, you know, bound to happen on the AT uh, because it is pretty difficult. But there are, there are some areas, you know, uh, Maryland has some of the nicest and easiest hiking, uh, I'd ever been on Pennsylvania, regardless of its, uh, of its reputation as the rocks and all that. There's also areas of Pennsylvania where it's perfectly flat and you're going through a lot of farmland and the hiking is easy. The day I did 40 miles was all through Pennsylvania. So, there's there's so many different options so I think I think what I'd like to start out with just just to give you an idea of the breakdown from state to state is the mileage so Georgia the first state if you're starting down south uh, you've got about 75 miles and it's definitely pretty difficult hiking it's uh, it's basically the up and downs up and down up and down and it doesn't ever seem to stop. There's not a lot of flat walking. It's either you are going up or you are going down. And so it can be difficult. It, it, it for sure breaks a lot of people um, that go in there sort of imagining a trail much more like Virginia with gradual hills and more of a, uh, I don't know, a welcoming sort of trail. Um, you know, when I think of when I think of hiking in the woods on a trail, I picture Virginia um just the the nice rolling hills. they're still really big hills, and they're still very challenging, but it it just seems like um everything's a bit more gradual. you know Georgia was the first like two days of Georgia weren't too bad, and then you get up and over Blood Mountain and all of a sudden the, the game just changes and, and it's, it's pretty difficult. It puts you through your paces for sure. Um, so I don't know, Georgia, Georgia was really cool. I think for me though, it, and most AT hikers, it would hold a certain place on the podium, so to speak, because it's the first state that's when you arrive down there with this huge goal in mind to hike the whole trail and you're super excited, your energy levels are up, everything's new. So you remember every little aspect. I mean, when I think about the Appalachian trail, when I'm, when I'm still, and I'm still actually working on that book, uh, I just got to figure out a few things before uh, I go forth with that one. Um, but when I was writing that, I mean, I could remember every single thing about Georgia clear as a bell. And then as it went on further and further, especially in the middle sections, that's where I really had to go back to my journals and start sort of dissecting some of the stuff that I said to try and remember uh, exactly what was going on in there. Because by that point, you're almost – I am not—I don't think you're like a zombie on the trail, but you definitely are in a zone – Where you're moving so fast and you're so used to your daily situation that I don't know, yeah, I just some of it just blanks. Um, and you even in the journals, you stop writing with such reverence, uh, as you did in the beginning because you're not quite as excited about doing yet another. 20-mile day, and your feet hurt and just like they did the day before and the week before that. So everything does sort of become a bit monotonous um, in some aspects. But luckily there's there's usually little breaks here and there. But Georgia, to try and stay on track here, Georgia I think is a very beautiful state. It's going to depend on what time of year you go. Um, and that's that's the one thing where my expertise – uh is very limited because I've only done the trail once. I started in the beginning of March, so a bit early, and my my sort of thinking on that was put up with a bit more cold in the south and deal with less heat and less bugs uh as I went north because I got up to I I reached Mount Katahdin July 13th, I believe, so it's a hundred and thirty-three-day trip. And that that time frame, if I were to do it again, I'd probably do just about the exact same thing. I don't know. I don't know why uh, leaving later. I just feel like you'd be you'd be more susceptible to bugs and all that sort of stuff. Cause I, I think for me, the most annoying thing and probably one of the most the scariest thing, honestly, are are dealing with, you know, when you just have constant constant, uh, barrage of mosquitoes or black flies, but then you get, you get into Virginia and the threat of, of Lyme disease from, from the deer ticks and stuff that, that one's pretty spooky. And I remember on my trail, the worst ticks that we encountered were in Pennsylvania and they were all wood ticks, which are a larger sort of species. And they don't seem, I'm not sure if they can carry Lyme disease or not. Uh, from what I understand, it's it's only the deer ticks, which are so small you wouldn't, it's almost like you couldn't see them anyway. Um, but it's it's kind of a nightmare situation, you know, it changes it. You go from being in the woods and being able to just sit down and have some lunch to having to scope and look over everything and make sure there's no ticks crawling on you and you're constantly doing these tick checks and stuff like that. And it's just not as enjoyable. It's not as sort of fancy free and whimsical, (laughs) if you will. But, um, so those are some of the things, Uh, as far as, as far, if you start in the beginning of March in Georgia, you're going to be in sort of winter dead forest. So there's no leaves, there's no buds on the trees, because that is, even if, even if for whatever reason, some of the trees start budding down you know in the valleys maybe we have a really early spring um, you're going to be up in the up in the altitude and and it's all going to be cold there's there's no protection from the wind. That's one of the big things I remember in Georgia that early in the season was just the wind seems to be howling and howling day and night and it's cold like bitter bitter cold. So um, you do have to sort of think about what time of year you have and and what uh, uh what your pension for temperatures are i mean as as a hiker i i tend to enjoy early spring and fall conditions as far as temperature and all that um if it can be in the 50s and maybe the low 60s for me that is the absolute perfect temperature to be hiking in and nice cold nights because then you sleep a lot better. You're snuggled up in your, in your sleeping bag and your little tent and everything. And, uh, for me, that's great. I, I would much rather do that than have it be 85 degrees and I'm just a, a pouring sweat the whole day. And then basically laying on top of your sleeping bag at night because it's still hot. Um, that, that to me isn't, isn't quite as enjoyable. So, um, but yeah, going on from Georgia, uh, Georgia's it's just pretty tough, but it's also pretty rewarding. And there's some, there's some pretty cool little towns. You got Hiawassee. um, You've got some, some good AT landmarks as well. Um, You got Neil's Gap, which is sort of the first little outfitter, which is kind of nice. That, that's like three days in or so you, after you, after you come down from Blood Mountain, boom, you hit this little outfitter so you can you can sort of correct some of the mistakes uh, as far as what kind of gear you brought or didn't bring um, there, so that's kind of convenient. And it, like I said, it's it's just an AT sort of landmark. Um, but then it just sort of whoop, peters right into North Carolina. And North Carolina's got about 90 miles inside of there, and it's North Carolina is very similar to what you find in Georgia. Very very big up and downs, hard hard climbing. Um, I think you even have to, might even do a few scramble sessions up there, but it's also very beautiful. Um, you've got a lot of great views and just rugged, what I would call atypical, uh, Appalachian mountain terrain. Um, just lots of hills and lots of views and lots of, uh, lots of miles. So, you know, 90 miles, if you were to do, uh, Georgia and North Carolina, you're going to come out basically at the Smoky Mountains and you've done uh, 160, 170 miles at that point. So right there is probably a pretty good two-week trip, uh, maybe even three weeks, depending on how much time you want to spend in in some of these little towns and stuff. So that's a nice little section, but I'm going to sort of base this off of uh, my friend's Uh, off of my friend's request, which he said he had a whole month. So he's got essentially, they call it four weeks. So if I, if we're doing our calculations, let's say 10 miles a day, so you could do 400 miles, but you've also, you've got a few stops, but I, I think 10 miles a day is a pretty good average because it includes um, it c- includes all the, the days where you might spend one or two days in a town, which would be, you know, a zero day is what it's called where, where you don't make any miles at all. So we're, we're just going to sort of go off of that. <clears throat> um, so you can do 400 miles, You can do 400 miles in, in one little, one little month and one section and with the trail being just over 2,000 miles long, so you're, you're looking at just doing about a, a quarter or a fifth of the trail if you're going to do start at one spot and you're going to hike all the way to the, to the other. So you could, you could really do, I would think, <clears throat> you could do what I always referred to as the deep south section, which would be Georgia, North Carolina, the Smoky Mountains, and Tennessee, and that all is very, very similar. Very rugged Appalachian mountain hiking. Again, you're in the south, um, so depending on the time of year that you go, you can either have it where you're right on the the backbone of of the winter and coming out of that, and so it's cold, and you get to actually watch as the trees start to bloom and all the the whole forest basically comes back to life with our trail hike i want to say it was in virginia when it finally started to really change and and you got to see the leaves coming out down in the valleys and slowly making their way up to the to the peaks which was really really great um so i would think if 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 you were to say take off and want to do that deep South section. So just about 400 miles. Um, well, let's see, that's actually 14. So it's it's actually more like 300. So it's a 300 mile hike to get from Georgia all the way up to the border of Virginia. And then Virginia, I mean, you could, you could just peel into that a good little ways, but, um, if you left in the beginning of April, you're, you're essentially going to be I would think out of the worst of the cold, although in those mountains, ye be warned, because it can be the springtime and still get snow when you're up at three, four, five thousand feet, and um, you know, even in Tennessee, I believe Klingman's Dome is the highest point, and that's just over six thousand six hundred feet, so it's pretty far up there, and it it does you 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 understand very quickly that uh, just a few thousand feet can can be a huge game changer as far as temperature and weather conditions. So, so that's a nice one. The Smokies, though, um, the Smokies are, eh, it's hard to describe because it's a balancing act between absolutely stunning, stunning forest, this just old, ancient forest that feels ancient and there's lots of animals, and it's beautiful, but it's also difficult. It's raining all the time. I mean, the Smoky Mountains get their name because it's always hazy. It's raining. You know, it's this sort of smoky place. And it's it's difficult because you have to stay in these, these shelters, and there's typically a lot of people. I, I believe – this great smoky mountains are still the most popular national park in the United States. They, they receive more visitors than any other. And there's a lot of people that live within a day's drive of that place. So it's definitely very popular. So, so you have to sort of go back and forth. Um, and this, that actually also sort of leads into another thing. Um, because the Appalachian trail is a, um, just an open thing where there's a lot of people these days that, that go and try it, you, you do want to consider how how much of a social activity you want it to be. Because if if you're looking to have your own experience and you, you don't want to be just crowded with other people, you don't really want to be in the culture of the through hikers and all that sort of stuff, well, then you're probably going to want to go and um, you know start and hike, do something up in the north if you're starting in April or or May or something, because the vast majority of hikers are again coming from Georgia, going north, and they're starting from March. I think the the majority start in March and in April, so those two months you're going to find the most populated part of the trail is going to be down at the start and it's going to just thin out and thin out. And I can't remember what, uh, the year that I did it in 2012, I can't remember exactly how many people had dropped out, but I think the average by about halfway. So just about the time you're in, uh, hitting Pennsylvania and stuff. Um, you're looking at about 50% of the people are have already dropped out and a huge amount have already dropped out um, in the first like two weeks. So it's, it's one of those things where if you hop down and start in Georgia in April, you are going to be surrounded. All the shelters are going to have lots of people in them. There's going to be tents everywhere. And that might be part of what you're looking for is to have that social sort of interaction because some of the best times are – you know, after a good day's hike, and you're you're around that campfire, and people are cooking food and telling stories and all that. Um, I would highly recommend that uh, those situations, you just make sure you have your own tent because one, it might be hard to find a spot in a shelter, and two, you're probably not going to want to actually stay in a shelter if uh, if at all. You're a light sleeper, and things like snoring and mice and people constantly shuffling around. You know the sound of a sleeping bag uh, against a uh, a little thermo rest uh, sleeping pad it's it's like it's like old old rain pants like voop, voop, voop. so every time you move it's it's uh, pretty loud now normally normally you sleep pretty soundly out there because you're you're pretty tired after a long day's hike, but it's just one of those things to consider. Um, so the other big one, and it would be definitely a challenge to do this section in a month, but it could be done, uh, mostly because the terrain is a little easier. You're still going to do some big, big climbs and, and all that. But Virginia would be kind of an interesting challenge to take on. So you're still South of the Mason Dixon line. So you're still in the South, but you're not in the deep South anymore. And, uh, that's one that I definitely considered because again, it's 550 miles. So if you've got 40 days, or if you've got 30 days um, to do that, you can do. You're going to have to do well over an average of 10 miles. I think you're going to have to do more, more in the range of like 15, 16 miles a day as an average. So that doesn't mean you have to do that day one and continue. If you're going to be doing the entire thing of Virginia. You pretty much yeah start out doing 10-12 miles a day. After about a week, you're going to be doing 20 milers. Um I would think pretty pretty easily as long as everything feels good. Um you know, one of the most common mistakes that that people I saw were making were they were so excited about first getting on that trail that they just hiked way way longer than they should have uh, and would end up so sore or you know hurting themselves, straining their achilles, hurting their knees, you know it's it's just one of those things that um you it's it's born from your own excitement, <laughs> and I know i had to I had to rein myself in a few times, and luckily, I had some some slight but annoying knee pain, and that that scared me enough to slow me way down in the beginning, which then. I believe it was about five weeks in. The knee pain disappeared, and then all of a sudden, I was uh, I was like an Iron Man out there, and and that was a great feeling. And you would you would definitely, I think, find that in Virginia. By the time you're wrapping that trail up, you, you'd probably feel like you could walk to the moon and back. Um, and Virginia's got some really cool towns. Um, there really is uh, some beautiful beautiful hiking up there. I believe it's got the the uh, the Rhone mountain, uh, range. I've got my little guidebook here, but I don't want to get sort of lost in it without, uh, and not make it so that you guys can, can understand. Cause I'm looking at it, but you've got like Shenandoah, um, which is absolutely beautiful. I mean, even in the AT guidebook, the, uh, the state of Virginia is broken up into, I think three or four parts. Cause it's just, it's absolutely massive. Um, but you do, you've got some really, really cool stuff. Um, you cross a lot of highways too, that's for sure. Pearsburg, oh man, yeah. When I look at all these names, it, it just makes me wanna go back out there so bad. But I think for me, it's gonna be the uh, Pacific Crest Trail would be the next one to, to tick off the list if I were to slice out some time to go and do another long distance hike see if I could get, uh, back in that sort of shape again, but yeah. Okay. So that's the one I was looking for. Damascus, Damascus, Virginia is one of the, uh, probably the most well-known of the trail towns because that's where they have trail days, a uh, big like party outfitter week where basically you can go in there and If you've done the AT or you're curious about the AT, that's a great place to go and find out every last little bit of information uh, you could ever want to know about the AT and have a great time meeting tons of people that have hiked or are hiking it. Some people actually base their through hike uh, on making sure they can be in Damascus for trail days. Let me see if they have... If they actually tell you when the trail days are friendliest town on the trail, do, 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 I don't know. Again, I just don't want to sit here and, and read, <laughs> read out of this book, like sort of plagiarize it or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's, um, Virginia is just cool. It's really, I, I thought it was really interesting and I, I, you, you hear about the Virginia blues, but I, if you're only doing it as a section, I don't think that's going to come into play at all. Uh I don't think it got really all that boring and I had already been on trail for uh quite a few weeks just to even get there. But it does. It has that reputation for a reason. Um you get the Virginia blues because people sort of lose sight of the whole thing and they get bored and um and then they they quit. They get off the trail, they get depressed. So uh Virginia I th- I think is definitely a worthy section and for for somebody who who's up for a challenge if you have a month virginia would be a pretty cool challenge to go and uh, accomplish that so again yeah 5 550 miles there the deep south section georgia all the way to the vo- border of virginia you're looking at about 300 miles or so um so those are those are two two definitely pretty cool sections that i think a month would be pretty good for, and and that just sort of goes to show how the terrain changes and will slow slow a person down or speed a person up. Because I I would think the deep south section to do that fresh on the trail, yeah, you'd probably want about a month. Um, yeah, the Virginia section would be tough, but you could definitely do that in a month, um, and then you get into Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania is sort of the oddball. Um, I always used to say that if I had if I was gonna do the entire trail again, the only state I would completely skip would be Pennsylvania. And my thinking on that really just comes from the the boulders and all the rocks. I mean, literally, there's miles of trail where you are just stepping on, you know little boulders that you can still move if they're if they're unbalanced. There's snakes in there. There were ticks everywhere. There's a lot of areas that are polluted, and you don't really want to drink the water. It was kind of hard for us to find water in that section. Um, it did have some pretty cool towns, and it did have some very pretty views, so it's not all bad, um, but it's just one of those sections where – I just wouldn't want to go through all that again, um, because I've already done it once and I was glad I got to experience it, but, and it it could have just been the year that I did it. Uh, but I do remember point blank looking down this trail with two foot tall sort of wild grass or whatever, uh, coming up and the trails only about six inches to a foot wide and I could literally see all the way down this trail. Little tiny burgundy-colored wood ticks hanging on every other blade of grass, just waiting for the next hiker to walk by, and they're just gripping right on you. I mean, it was it was pretty incredible. Uh You had to keep your eye on that uh, that year more than I. I've that's more than I've ever seen. And the wood ticks up in uh, Minnesota, uh, up in the. Uh, the boundary waters get really bad. I've seen them pretty bad there, but Pennsylvania just took the cake. It was, it was crazy. (laughs) So I don't know. I, I guess I, I'm just going to say I wouldn't recommend Pennsylvania. Um, unless you had some, some notion of wanting to experience sort of the misery of the rocks and all that sort of stuff, then, Hey, you know, maybe that is the little section for you. There's 240 miles or so of Pennsylvania in there. And, uh, It it presents some pretty challenging stuff, but it also presents uh some pretty wide open, easy hiking uh the further north you get in there. And you know, there's some areas where I think you're just it's flat walking pretty much all day. You go through these farm fields and then you go through these towns and back into the farm fields and then across the highway. And I just remember stopping, I think it was in like a super eight motel after 40 miles, and I I took my boots off and I Fell into that bed, and I just remember leaving the door open so that the pizza delivery guy could just come right in, and I wouldn't actually have to get up and and use my feet. It's it literally felt like I had walked over hot coals. The bottoms of my feet hurt so bad after 40 miles. I was glad I did it, but man, that was painful when I think back to it. So, so those are that's that's sort of the South. And then, obviously, the other half is you've got New England, um, and then, or well, I guess you—I don't know—I don't know how I would characterize it. I guess I would say the Middle North, because I like to think of the AT in four sections: the Deep South, the South, the North, and then New England. Um, Or well, yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of hard because obviously I think of Connecticut, Massachusetts as New England. Um, I don't know if I actually consider Vermont, New England, or if it actually is. That's a good question. Um, New Hampshire, Maine, obviously it was coastal, but I don't know if, I guess you'd call it New England. Well, besides the point, uh, New Jersey and New York are tough. Don't let the low numbers of miles fool you. So there's about 70 miles in New Jersey. Oh, we've skipped over uh, Maryland and Virginia uh, West Virginia and stuff. Sorry about that. If you are looking for uh, like just a maybe a couple of days, a weekend hike or something like that, and you want to do an entire state, go and hike Maryland because it is just absolutely amazing. They've got great views. The shelters are beautiful. They're like log cabins they all have tent pads and stuff. I don't know how populated it would be. When I went through, I barely saw anybody there and that would have been, oh man, I can't even remember what time of year that would have been. That would have been probably sometime in late May. Um, And it was just, it was unbelievable. You could just tell that uh, in that state, they they definitely put a lot of money into maintain, maintaining the trails, uh, the shelters and everything. And it's just wide open walking. That was a state where I did a lot of night hiking, not only because we had one of those super moons, but also it was – you you sort of just knew that uh, it, it wasn't such a challenge – uh, the actual terrain that you could, you could get away with hiking. And in some, some respects, we got away with it without even using our headlamps, uh, which was really cool. You know, when you, you let your eyes adjust for long enough, you get a really super bright moon that's right overhead and you can pretty much see the trail, even if you're in the woods, which by then, you know, the trees had leaves and all that sort of stuff, but, um, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, I definitely liked Maryland and it is. It's it's short, it's sweet, and you get your little taste of the AT and you could do it pretty much in a weekend. So you got about 40, 41 miles. Um, I guess you'd probably want a little more, more than a weekend, maybe just a long weekend. So that's a little offshoot, I guess, uh, from, from our initial question with a month, but... You get through that, and then you get into New Jersey, the Bear State. A um, lot, of, lot of ups and downs there. You got, like, Delaware Water Gap is the end of, uh, end of Pennsylvania, I believe. And then you cross right over into New Jersey and come to um, not Cloud Pond, but um, Sunfish Pond, which is sort of the first glacial pond that you come to on the AT and it's sort of this cool feelings. Now you're, you're like full on in the north and uh, you're, I, for me, once I got into New Jersey, it was really an awareness of we were getting close to the end, even though we're just about, just over halfway, (laughs) you know, to Mount Katahdin and still a huge amount of trail to do it's still, there was just this idea of like, wow, we're well past the halfway point and And, uh, and holy cow, it's, it just, it hits you like a ton of bricks. And then all of a sudden you want to like slow down, but that's besides the point. So New Jersey, you got a lot of bears, you got some great hiking. Um, It's very difficult, New Jersey and New York. Um, So New Jersey's got about 70 miles. New York's got about 90 miles. One of the nice parts about getting up this far north is you're going to find that you do not have to carry quite as much food because there's the availability of of stopping and resupplying far more than you get down south and in Virginia. So that's something really to to sort of consider because if you've got this little chunk of time and, and let's say you want to do... Uh, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, and Massachusetts, that's, you're looking at about 350 to 400 miles, which is definitely doable in a month. Um, it'd be a pretty epic, epic little section to do. Um, but the nice part is compared to the deep South where you're going to be packing sometimes for four or five nights in the woods up up in New Jersey, all the way through Massachusetts, you're, you're pretty much, you might, you might have to do that once or twice, but the vast majority of it, you could probably get away with one or two, two days worth of food. Um, and you're also going to be able to eat you're not going to be just living completely off of noodles and, um, you know, tuna and peanut butter and all that, because, because most of those towns, you can also stop and they have little delis or restaurants and, and things like that. So your, your initial diet doesn't even have to completely require you to be eating sort of, uh, this, this trail food, so to speak, which I like trail food. It tastes great. Um, I like mountain house, like dehydrated stuff But I know that it's really not all that great for you. And it's hard to find really good foods, and maybe I just don't know about them and they're out there, Um, but you know, foods that are healthy that you can take out on the trail. And I don't know. I've I've never really found much outside of some of those powders and things like that, the green powders where you can just mix that in with some water, which I think now – uh, though I didn't know about them back then, I would for sure bring some powdered stuff, uh, to be able to do sort of like a green, like life drink or whatever, um, every single day on the trail, just to give you that boost of nutrients, because, you know, like it or not, uh, a thing, a macaroni and cheese really isn't, uh, isn't that nutritious. (laughs) It's probably pretty hard on your body to sort of deal with that food, but, when you're out there hiking you're really just looking for all the good calories and cuz you're burning you are burning thousands and thousands of calories every day so back to sort of that section yeah i would think to section 1 off for a month new jersey new york connecticut and massachusetts would definitely be a uh, a good option to go for Especially if you you like seeing a lot of the towns and and that sort of thing because you are gonna go through a huge array of little towns <clears throat> and be able to get to pretty cool little spots to check out <clears throat> excuse me and and really uh, experience more of a less or you're gonna experience less of the just constant woods and more of the Americana, uh, so to speak, I don't know if that's the right word, but you're just, you're basically walking from town to town and you're gonna, you're gonna come into a town every couple of days and, and all that. So that's definitely, um, a a, a vastly different hike than doing say the deep South or even Virginia. So that's, uh, that's definitely another section, which brings us to, the final section. And this is the one that I would probably, I, I want to say, if I was really looking for a challenge, I would probably take on the three final states. I would probably take on Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine one more time, because this, without a doubt, is going to be the hardest section to hike but it's also going to be the absolute most beautiful now whether or not that can be done in one month fresh starting on the trail i don't know i mean we're you're looking at about three so 300 miles or so for vermont and new hampshire total and then another 300 just about in maine so you're looking at like 600 miles so comparable to virginia Um, maybe a little bit longer and I don't know. I kind of think I, if I was going for it and I wanted those grand views from the white mountains and all the stuff up in Maine, I'd probably, if I had, if I were to do it, I would probably start in New Hampshire and just do New Hampshire and Maine. Vermont has some beautiful, beautiful hiking, the green mountains, all that sort of stuff. And it's it's got some great little towns. It's it's really is a, a beautiful place, but at the same time, it's uh really muddy. It's always pretty wet. I can remember sleeping essentially in swamps uh at high altitude and going through hailstone uh hail hailstorms in June. So that wasn't uh it wasn't the best, but it's just it really comes down to the mileage. I mean, trying to squeeze out all those miles let's call it 600 miles in a month, uh, would be pretty tricky, uh, fresh on the trail. You know, you can do it after you've already hiked the previous, uh, 15, 1600 miles, uh, of the AT, then it's not really an issue, but I would think that, um, yeah, I would either, I would either, spend a month doing Virginia and New Hampshire or spend a month doing New Hampshire and then Maine. Um, and the New Hampshire main one would be definitely a lot more difficult cause the mileage is a lot more, but that section is without a doubt, the most stunning. I mean, you, I, I, I remember more than anything staying up, uh, on Mount Moosalock, which I believe is in New Hampshire. Um, and it's this sort of rugged peak up there it's it's one of the first really big peaks that you get up there and you're above tree line um you know out west i think to get above tree line you could be i don't know nine ten thousand feet or something like that i'm not really sure but in new england uh and and way up north there the tree line really is only around like four thousand feet or something and i'm not sure why i'm sure it has something to do with the weather patterns and and all that sort of stuff. But so you get, instead of getting to the top of a mountain like down south where the vast majority of them are covered in trees, and unless it's still, everything's winter dead, you're not really seeing much besides just the forest. Um, up there, you get above that tree line and now you've got the whole world horizon to horizon and it's just absolutely beautiful. So that's definitely something to take into account. Now it is very, very rugged climbing. Um, it's tough. There's a lot of big ups and big downs, and they don't ever want to stop. Um, you've also got you've got a lot of bears. You got a lot of moose. Uh, once you get up in Maine, definitely moose are are an issue. When you hike on the trail there, you're you're seeing boot prints in the trail mud, and then you're also seeing hoof prints from uh, from the moose. So they are everywhere. We saw plenty of them. They're very beautiful, but they can also be uh, kind of scary, uh, a little dangerous. I don't know when the rut season is. Part of me wants to say it's uh, it's in the spring just because of that whole idea of like springtime. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I don't know when the rut is. I don't think it's any time around when, when normal AT hikers are out there, but... Really, really beautiful sections, and just the biggest, most majestic mountains. And you still get a lot of really great um, trail towns. I think my favorite in in Vermont and New Hampshire really was on the border when you go into Hanover because it's this cool little town. Dartmouth College is there. There's a lot of outfitters. There's a lot of great restaurants, uh, and there's just a lot of nice people. Um, You can go out and just meet people and. By that time, a typical AT hiker has a huge beard, so it's sort of a big red flag. Everybody knows who you are and what you're doing. And as long as you don't smell too bad, they'll probably approach you and and want to ask you questions and stuff. But um, pretty cool trail towns. And then Maine. Maine definitely had some really, really neat places. Um, I would say – I'd want to say my my probably one of my favorite trail towns was uh, – was Monson, Maine, and it's it's sort of the last town that you really come to before entering the the hundred mile wilderness, and it's not it's barely even a town uh, per se as far as size goes. You know, there's only one little general store, or gas station where you resupply. There's a couple of uh, hostels and a, a bar or two, but that's that's basically it. But Really, really cool. Lots of nice people. And almost everybody that's up there is involved with the trail in some way or another. So it's kind of a cool little spot and everybody knows they're getting right to the end. Or you're running into people that are starting their trail going from the north to the south and being a southbound trail hiker. So you get sort of this mix of of people up there, which is pretty cool. Um, I don't know what it would be like to hike that section outside of... um, End of June and and beginning of July for us it was it was pretty hot, it wasn't too too bad yet, and the bugs weren't all that bad. Um, but if if you go further into, I know Mount Katahdin closes its gate sometime in October, so there is a limit as far as your timing, uh, September and everything. Because even in even in July in Maine on some of the peaks, you're scrambling through these rocks and I was still finding snow that was basically locked away underneath these, these giant boulders and stuff. So I think there's going to be the threat of snow is, is pretty much year round up there. Um, but if you were up there in earlier spring, say you started out in April and you headed up there, I think you'd probably see some pretty rugged, rugged, cold conditions. Um, but by August, I know living up in Maine in the summers for the last few August is hot. I mean, you're in it's you're looking at ninety degree temperatures, um, and I know water can become a little bit difficult to find up there. But um, I don't know Maine. Maine seem to have a lot of rivers, but it's 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 rugged. I mean, you're they say. By the time you get to Maine, you've done the vast majority of the trail, but you've only done a small percentage of the actual vertical climbing and descending. And Maine is absolutely brutal, but it is it is quite beautiful. And if you wanted to, say you had a month and you were pretty sure 10 miles a day is about all you wanted to do because you didn't want to just hike for 10 hours. You wanted to hike and then set up camp and relax and all that Just the state of Maine with about 280 miles would probably be a pretty good section. And you do end up getting that really quintessential AT moment where you get to see the the northern terminus, which, again, for the vast majority of people hiking that trail, that is the goal. That's the thing that we're envisioning in our head. That's the driving force that you're trying to get to. And when you get to see it, I I think that would probably be the only drawback is that if you only did the state of Maine, you'd get up there and you'd see it. And it'd be pretty cool to see that sign up on top of Mount Katahdin, but boy, it's if, if you're going to see that sign one time in your life and you have any interest in doing a long distance hike, do the entire trail because the sight of that sign will literally bring tears to your eyes. Did to me and uh, it does to almost everybody. It's, it's ridiculous what how big of a change your perception of something can be. And, you know, this is something I have a lot of experience with out sailing, you know, where you, I've always said that the only way to make uh, perfect conditions even better is to have to go through two weeks of hell to get there. And that's something that I've found, I've learned along the way in my life, just about if you really want pure joy, you got to go through some pain to really get there, to make it that much better. And, uh, although there always is a balance, it's not like you want to spend your whole life not eating chocolate. And then the day before you die, dig into a Hershey bar sort of thing. (laughs) Um, but I diverge, I digress. Um, so that's another section and you could split those up in any way you want, but Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, if you had a little more time than a month, you go for it, or you could, you could cut that down a little bit. So, I don't know. Those those are my big sections. The deep south, Virginia, uh, Pennsylvania and all that. Um and then sort of the the north, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Mass, and then the far north or uh "quote unquote" New England. Those those would be the four different sections that I would say would be great to choose from. Uh and If, if you had that, that month. And again, I mean, you know, if you, if you got two weeks, there are definitely areas where you could, you could get through one or two States in one little shot, which would be pretty cool, but it really just is going to come down to when you want to go, what sort of terrain you want to have, how big of a challenge you want it to be. And, um, I guess just, uh, where you feel like doing it. The other thing could be, you know, maybe you live in, uh, maybe you live in Ohio and, you don't want to travel all the way down south to go and do this. Um, or maybe you do. Maybe it's April in Ohio and it just snowed again and you want to get out of there. And so you head on down uh, to where it might be just a bit warmer down in uh, in Georgia. So there's there's so many options. That's part of the trail that I really, really like is that if you do get to return to it or or you're just trying to to get a taste of it, you have so many choices, uh, as far as where and, and how, and what sort of stuff you want to see. So the, the AT just provides so, so many great opportunities to, to sort of see this, this storied Appalachian mountain chain and all the towns and, and everything that's out there. It's really, really cool. Um, I guess on, on some other notes, thinking about packs and what to bring and all that sort of stuff I would I would just consider if you're out there for a month or just a couple of weeks you know you really want to make sure you don't fall into the trap of bringing too much stuff um, at the same time you don't want to get caught too short. I would always, always have a very, very small tent or at least a, uh, a tarp with some sort of mosquito netting around it. Um, a tent's going to be the most protective, so when it's raining, your chance of staying dry is much better. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be heavier, so you have to consider that, but it's going to be a better, better way to protect yourself at night Um, I had a tarp for the first half of the trail because I figured it'd be cold enough where the bugs weren't going to be an issue, but I did suffer from, you know, dealing with the rain and all that sort of stuff, getting into the sides and, and getting me a little wet, but on the AT, you soon find out that wetness is sort of life out there. And, uh, the sooner you accept that fact and just, uh, start to try and figure out a way to enjoy it, then the better. Um, if you, if you constantly try to, uh, sort of buck mother nature and, and try and beat it, uh, you'll find that on this trail and out there, uh, you're, you're done for you really, you'll just have a miserable time because you're all, you're spending more time trying to avoid your situation than actually just immersing yourself in it and, and sort of living in it. But, as far as the the gear goes, yeah, I mean, because you you wanna you always want to make sure you have something for the situation when you get to a shelter and the shelter's full, and so you have to you're gonna be sleeping out under the stars, and uh, you wanna make sure that if it's just raining constantly, you can sort of protect yourself. So always gonna have that. You're gonna have a sleeping pad, sleeping bag, um, cooking stuff. I I had some some crazy. Little tiny stove that, that, eh, though it only weighed like an ounce, um, it just, it, I would go with a jet boil. <laughs> I'm not sponsored or anything by those guys, but uh, the jet boil is super easy, it's super fast, and um, I don't know, I, I they're light and they're a little clunky as far as their size and stuff, but. You've got essentially your whole your whole cooking setup is just in one little one little thing and um, just the fact that it boils water that fast because the vast majority of what you're eating is just something that you either put in water and boil or you boil water and then add that. So uh, jet boils work great, super easy and uh, I would definitely go with something like that. Obviously you need a headlamp. But you, you got to keep things bare bones, too. Um, I, I've seen people pull three or four books out of their packs. And even if you're only out there for a month, um, you're still carrying that the whole entire time. So I I recommend if, if you really want to be a reader, always, you know, have one book or something like that, but maybe even cut it up into sections. Um, you'll still want to have one of the AT guidebooks Um I know the Appalachian Trail through hikers companion. That one's still in print. I'm not sure if a wall is still in print, but you'll have a guidebook. Typically, you can get away with that without having to have the maps. Um, you know, I found the maps as more uh, something that was enjoyable to look at and have. You know. Uh, at, at tent time, you know at night when just before I go to bed writing in my journal and then then' I'll, I'll pull out this map and look at it. but it wasn't it wasn't by any means the trail is so well marked and so easy to find your way that having having every single map, I mean you'll you'd have like a pile of like 15 of them and that creates weight. Um, you can send them ahead to little, to the next little towns and stuff, but I just found that, that maps were a little extra and, but they were just for entertainment purposes. I never, I don't think I ever really came into needing it. Um, and the one time I did need a map or want a map really bad, uh, I found one, uh, on the trail, which was the craziest, uh, bit of trail magic I've ever seen in my whole life. Um. But in any event, um, you know, and then some, some rain gear, that sort of thing. Um, one change of clothes. That's, that's the biggest thing is you got to remember once you're out there, you, it doesn't, you're going to smell, you're going to be filthy and that's okay. You know, when you go into a trail town, you'll be able to go and, and wash that one set of clothes. I did bring one change of, uh, boxer shorts and I think one or two pair of socks, And the reason for that is sometimes when you get completely saturated, one of the things you really want to do is you want to get into camp and at least be able to put uh, a dry pair of boxer shorts on, because that that definitely feels really, really nice, and a dry pair of socks, um, because your feet, sometimes you pull them off after you've been walking through water all day, and you know, the skin on your feet is just, it's gruesome and is white and gross and wrinkly and peely. And, and all you want to do is dry your feet out. So, so there's that. And, you know, obviously there's a million other little things we could mention, but I think those are the sort of the big ones. Um, but again, I think one of the things you just want to make sure that your pack is super light, as light as you can possibly get it, which means don't bring all the extra stuff that you think would really be nice to have out in the woods that chances are, you're going to find you don't ever use out there binoculars, um, extra books, the fancy leather bound journal. That's, uh, you know, huge. You can always transcribe, uh, anything you write into a fancy journal when you get home. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. And nowadays, yeah, obviously a cell phone for emergencies. Um, Back when I did the trail, the vast majority of it, there was no cell phone coverage. But now I'm pretty sure that has changed quite drastically. Um, I see a lot of people posting, or a lot of people were posting stuff on like TikTok and stuff like that. And they were doing that pretty much in real time on the trail, which is pretty crazy. Um, But you'll, you know, having that phone allows you to, the phone is also your camera and all that. So. It's definitely worth having one because it's not like you're going to want to have a phone and then bring some camera and then, you know, all that. So it's all about that weight. Um, other than that, I don't know. I guess I, I hope that, uh, I've sort of answered some of that, or at least provided some information for anybody that might want to tackle just a, a little section of the Appalachian Trail. And, you know, one of the things that you might find in the end is that uh, you do one section and you can't stop thinking about it. And then the next year you do another section and another section. Um, people often do that and they'll take 10 years of their life and eventually they will have through-hiked the AT, uh, but they've done it in sections. And uh, that's quite an accomplishment as well. I think I think in some respects that might be harder because, you have to be diligent with it year after year after year. And even though you may have started it when you're 40, you're finishing in your fifties. And, uh, that's a lot of change to go through and still continue to, uh, whip out a few, uh, hundred miles, uh, every year. So, so pretty cool stuff. Um, other than that, I know it's sort of a divergence from our normal podcast, but you know what? I'm finding this podcast is just gonna it's gonna be sort of free flowing. I've got a pretty cool interview coming up here in the next couple of days uh, with my one of my oldest friends, Colin. Uh, he is the son of Buzz from uh, from the book Sailing into Oblivion. He's the one I I was honored to spread his ashes, uh, all around the planet. So that should be pretty cool. We'll talk about some, uh, some snowboarding and also some mountain climbing, which is what he and his father used to do. So that should be pretty fun. Other than that, thanks for listening and, uh, until next time.